Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 167, Kabbalan with Leticia Macias. Whether it's education Kabbalah or that permacultural life, this fiery Leo knows a thing or two about a thing or two. Join the team as we explore this loca vida. Welcome. Hi. <clears throat> How's it going? <laughs> Great. I know it's been, uh, I think, the third or fourth attempt to get you on here between schedules and just different things. We haven't been able to get you on, so I'm glad we did that. Um, before we jump into the talk, uh, this episode is going to be the temperance card. I don't know how into tarot you are, uh, but that's um, the six, uh, not six, the 167 reduces to 14, which is temperance. It says, I am astonished by the beauty of life in all of its facets. Temperance is about seeing the extraordinary in the ordinary, having an exquisite balance, a period of rebirth, slowing down and viewing the world with fresh magical perspectives, and trusting your intuition. Raphael, what would the Galactic Heritage card be? We got number 59, Sirius, Unfinished Business, Present Timeline. The ancient Sirius believed that they left some things unfinished. Mostly this has to do with the evolution of the human race. Many of these ancient beings have incarnated as humans now in order to complete the tasks they feel were left undone. Other serious beings are helping from the unseen realms. If you feel that you have unfinished businesses, business in your life, or a nagging feeling that you are supposed to do something, pay attention to what that is teaching you about self-acceptance. The lesson is that you are complete in every moment. If you were supposed to do something, then it would be done. So I'm curious, Leticia, uh, but I'm going to call you Letty because that's how I know you, and I'm going to have this whole mental block thing, so just deal with it. Uh, Letty, what, if anything, resonated between the Temperance card and the Sirius card you just read? Um, <clears throat> well, that's a great question. Uh, honestly, I am kind of familiar with tarot as well as astrology. So uh, I'm just going to tell you, I know you're kind of familiar with my background just because we've talked a little bit about uh, my astrological, my natal chart before. Sun but, and uh, moon and Venus Leo, folks. Yeah, it's four actually and Mars south as well. Um, or Jupiter. Mucho caliente. Jupiter. Yeah, mucho <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Don't go there. Um, so yeah, like I have four planets in Leo and I also, my rising is in Gemini. So go figure, right? Like my own fire, I am sparking my own fire pretty much through, through the power of, of the earth, air. So what it, it actually, you know, like now that you guys were mentioning about the temperance card and it, it definitely resonated with what I'm going through right now, which is, I like to call it, I like, I guess I like to call all of my upheaval, uh, the cyclical, uh, I'm just being part of the cyclical nature of creation. Um, when you're, when you're actually aware of that cyclical nature, um, then you, you kind of get a little bit more grounded into, into what, you know, that temperance reflects on your, uh, or manifests in your, in your physical reality. 
But yeah, I mean, we can go dive deep into all of this for sure. That's what's up. Yeah, temperance, I mean, is about like, it's a Sagittarius card, but it ultimately is about balancing the the alchemy of all the elements in, like perfectly, the divine and the mundane, you know, chop wood, carry water, as well as like Mount of Transfiguration, a holy moment, ayahuasca trip stuffs or whatever. So it's kind of that energy. Um, and the card that Raphael was talking about with the serious uh, energy where it's talking about unfinished business, where maybe some of us feel like we have a mission. I'm sure a Leo, Sun and Moon uh, and Venus and possibly Mars or Jupiter. I'll have to check your chart in a second. Um, very fiery person with a Gemini um rising is going to think that you have a lot uh you know the world is kindling and you want to lit, light it on fire and, and do the thing you want to you know be fully present and fully explore it have fun um all in kind of attitude so you might actually feel driven by an unquenchable thirst for life uh maybe even unfinished business from past timelines or whatever uh, I just, in retrospect, I'm not even sure how we became friends. It was a few years ago, I think. I mean, I've known you for a while. I used to tag you in posts and stuff. And... Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a, yeah, it was a couple of years ago. And I actually didn't know, I, I don't actually recall like the exact moment, but I just felt so connected with, with your art. And, and I guess I, what I was doing at that time, it also caught your attention. So that was a great, I, feel, I just feel like it was a great dynamic there, you know, of, of um, how you can find pretty much your tribe. You know, like we definitely attract our tribe. Like that's, there's nothing else I can say about that, but it's, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm actually really happy to, to be able to be here and, and talk to you guys and share a little bit more about the things that I've, you know, been manifested in this lifetime and also a little bit of wisdom from my Kabbalistic uh, studies and and what I've been doing in this physical realm as well. That's what's up. Um, like I said, we've never met in person. Um, when I was in California, I think you were in Central Cali and I was down in LA or something like that. Like we've just never hung out. Um, but uh, the one thing that stuck out to me, um, and people will see it if you're friends with her on Facebook or something, your hand tattoo is beautiful. Uh, it's very geometric, oh, geometry. cool. Yeah, no, like I'm not, I mean, some tattoos are like, you know, sailor, drunk sailor tattoos or whatever. This is like a work of art. It's very, very geometric and uh, flowing and beautiful. It's art in itself. Um, but kind of give me an idea of, because uh, I, I don't know you that well. I've had like about a year ago when Facebook, maybe a little more, Facebook had the adding people on live option. I had you come on a live and we talked a little about Kabbalah. So we've talked in that regard before but um kind of fill me in like where are you coming from like where did you grow up what kind of culture were you dealing with how did you start waking up uh, to kabbalah and magic and all the kind of stuff that you're into now so that's that's actually well that's a big question honestly but it wasn't until recently that i became like fully aware of 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 my potential here in, in this earth and part of it was to understand my history right and my history my obviously generational karmic cycles and baggage and all of that shit. <clears throat> Sorry for my French. Excuse me for my French. For okay, great. Amazing. <laughs> now I feel more comfortable. Um, so yeah, so, you know, I grew up in, uh, I was born in California, but I grew up, I was raised in Mexico, in Baja specifically, uh, which is not actually the, the typical Mexican culture that you see on television or in the news. Uh, even if you just do a small travel to Tijuana or 
Um, and Sonata, you, you're just gonna see that it's way different than the actual South uh, cultural, heavy culturally uh, submerged indigenous, you know, traditions that, that exist in Mexico. So in, I'm saying this just because it, it will give you a clear understanding that how disconnected we are from our actual culture or, or actual heritage. We don't even, people here Baja, we don't share the same uh, culinary, um, you know, activities either. Uh, I was, you know, I grew up in a, in a town where it was founded by Chinese people. So all of our downtown is actually, you know, like Chinese pagodas, Chinese architecture and Chinese designs. Um, and our cuisine is like Chinese Mexican food, which is like the, how we are Just like briefly, internationally known. If you don't yeah. mind me interrupting, uh, can I ask how is that even possibly historically that the Chinese have founded that town? Oh, sure. Um, it actually happened during the, I think it was a Cold War or some of those, you know, um, civil wars that, you know, just, just in general, obviously that, um, the Chinese were, uh, I think it was the time they were the building the, the, the infrastructure, like the transportation infrastructure through the United States. So I don't know if you recall, but, uh, the Asian population was, was a type of population who was targeted as, as, you know, the, the, uh, more, uh, you know, the people were definitely racist against them. Like there was so much racism against like the Asian American culture at that time. So they had to migrate to different states because of that racial uh, injustice happening. Uh, one of the places that they found here was Baja. They, I, I think at that time they find so much richness, like so much natural richness and, and they saw the, the potential of being right next to, to United States. So because Mexico during the, those years and that period of time, Mexico wasn't, it, it still didn't populate the whole country. So it was pretty like Baja was pretty abandoned, you know, at that time, even though it was still part of Mexico, but it, there wasn't many people here. So I, I think that they just found a great place to be at and, you know, they saw the, the potential that it had economically and socially for them. And plus, you know, we, and I, I'll say like, without fear of any consequence of this, but like, honestly, like Mexicans and like Latino culture, we are racist among us, but we are not racist among other people. And <laughs> this is something that happens. So they never felt like out of the place at all here. They pretty much established the first economic um, development in the old, pretty much part of the borderline between Mexico and United States. And, you know, from time to, they started, you know, the, obviously it was, it, went, it was so good for them because they also didn't have to deal with any, uh, cultural and traditional and you know any other restriction or or they did they weren't like suffering through the disadvantages that they were they had in their own country or in united states so it was kind of like a freedom place you know they felt definitely like that freedom that they never experienced before here um in any in like in many levels so so yeah like you know like i come from i i pretty much grew up here um i was like you know, the typical black sheep of the family or not typical, but, you know, kind of, um, my family was, or still is the like hardcore traditional, uh, if, if I can translate it into, uh, you know, a political party that you will understand in, in United States, it will be like hardcore traditional Republicans. So 
obviously Catholic uh, religion had a, a profound, um, uh, you know, a profound uh, impact on my life and my family's life as well. Uh, but, you know, since one of the things that it's funny, because one of the things that my mom, uh, you know, when she started talking about me when I was little, uh, she usually says this story of like the first time that I actually complete like a one sentence uh, word coming out of my mouth was was something of like uh, I was she said that I was like one year, one year and a half. And she said that I said uh, I look at myself in the mirror as a baby and I said to myself, I am me, you know, and and she was like, Aww. what? And then, uh, and then I look at her and I was like, yeah, I am me, you know, like I recognize my own individuality at that early age. Um, she's an elementary, she was an elementary school teacher at that time. So she didn't took it as the way, like, I guess most parents will take it or like parents who have experience with kids, I don't know, like within the creative process of it. Um, she took it as completely like, oh my God, like she's too smart or like she's, she's just going to be hell for me because, you know, she's got to require a lot of work. And you know, I don't know, like, she's yeah, kind of, and like, she's kind of like the antichrist, I guess. And it wasn't, it wasn't too far away from reality. Um, because during my, uh, I get, I think it was like five years old when I started, like, you see my pictures when I was a girl and everyone is praying in those pictures or like they, they used to take pictures of like them praying or they going to church and I was, uh, you can see all these pictures and I'm always crying. Like I never have like a picture of me smiling and. And one of the reasons why I was crying was because I used to question my mom. You know, I used to question her authority and question, like, why does she feel so guilty if God just, you know, um, supposedly this God is all compassionate and all, uh, you know, all loving. And like, why do you still feel guilty about these things? And like, what do you can forgive these people in your life? And I used to like hardcore question her and like, she never liked it, obviously. So this is just an overall idea of like, that I was kind of like this, like, um anal kid you know when it came to uh you know just pure questioning and in my reality and the reality of others around me as well Super so long fiery story Leo. not surprised yeah yeah like a hundred percent like and it was tough because i had like this really um I, I was very introverted but i i used to be like the type like very smart kid uh participating in science uh competitions from an early age and I won a, a couple of like science um, competitions, like national competitions, statewide competitions. Um, but it, but it was some sort of like a, you know, because I I was so good at science. It was in in Mexican or Latino tradition is it's still something that because you're a female, you're not allowed to, you know, to do to dive deep into those those type of topics, and and that's very masculine of you. And like you know, there's always this kind of like criticism against my the thing that i always wanted to do right or I, I was good at so during that like early age even though i was doing all of those great things i always felt like some sort of um you know dissonance between what was happening why why i was good at this and but when i come home there's still this kind of like unhappy moment um because of like this the, the rejection that that i faced uh but like but it, it wasn't too too like it didn't took too long the from when i started uh you know when when i was a teenager that i found uh something that completely changed my life which was um it's called there is a different you know like i said like i was very like 
into my books and stuff like like book smart your mercury um, is in virgo so this isn't surprising yeah <laughs> exactly and so i found about the uh, i don't know if you ever heard of the term of like uh, anarchism and syndicalism so it's anarcho i don't really yes. know how to translate it yeah so so when i start finding about like all these different ways uh of people relating the, to the world and all these different you know ideals and utopian worlds and how like different economic systems are possible like how change is possible and like the only thing that is required from you is to just change your perspective and like i was so fascinated by it that i you know i fully submerged into those ideologies and and i started uh participating in uh uh underground anarchist groups in in latin america and and when i even i had you know even i was even since i'm close so close to the border with the united states like it's so easy for us to just you know like to go shopping there or like to go travel there and then come back home so i i start noticing that the way the internet works uh in the united states and then in mexico is way different you know we don't in latin america we don't have as much uh, restrictions or regulations as you guys do um there's a little bit more freedom since since like i said like you know we i mean we're a third world country so um even though we get like all these amazing technologies we don't have the 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 economic incentives to develop like the infrastructure and to understand their laws and regulations that come behind those things you know like the consequences the social consequences the economic consequences of all of this whether it's positive or negative so because of that lack of of pretty much you know uh like uh, internet infrastructure um there were so many like extreme like you have no idea how many of these underground underground groups uh they still exist you know here in in mexico and latin america and they are all connected like i'm just talking about them in general like i'm not want to put anyone to um yeah uh, what kind of other countries were you going to i i first like the first travel that i that i made besides going to disneyland disneyland that i hated so much when i was like 9 years old with one of my aunts I think she liked Disney like I didn't actually like it uh but she just took me as a you know I guess favor or whatever um but like the first real trip that I made was to Mexico City and in Mexico City uh, I don't know if you, have, you guys have ever been there but there is a huge uh punk and um hardcore scene of of all of these underground movements uh because of, there was a period in the 70s where in Mexico we have the contraculture which is a you know movement that obviously is not part of the status quo of society um and we got a lot of uh, great luminaires one of them his name is Alejandro Jodorowsky oh yeah holy mountains we've had an episode yeah. on that yeah so this guy yeah i mean i don't want to go too much into his bio but like you know he's a psychotherapist and he works with tarot and all of that so he during that time he was so big in, in mexico he became so big just because he was so uh anti you know the catholic um not only the religion but the institution itself you know and what it meant to be catholic and he was always put into a different lens of of you know like he was kind of like relating to to the mexican people but at the same time it's like look at where you're going look where look what where, where are we the, what are the things that we're lacking 
in this in this movement. But yeah, long story short, I went to Mexico City and then I got to meet a lot I'm of people. I'm pretty sure that's where um, Holy uh, Mountain yeah. was filmed. Yeah, yes, it was. And then we have Holy Mountain, then we have uh, the other ones that El are... Topo. Fando y Luis or Sando y Luis, yeah. And there is a... Um, there's a couple, of, there's another one that's called como que La Sangre de Mi Padre or something like that, where he falls in love with his mom and he talks all about the, the, um, the you know, I think there has, there is a psychological term for that, like when you fall. The Oedipus Complex. Yeah, exactly. So that's a big thing. Yeah, it was just amazing, you know, and so I, I got to meet a lot of people in, there's a place that is called El Chopo in Mexico City, which is like a, kind of like a, um, uh, a flea market where it's an underground flea market. Um, you're gonna find there only like, you're not gonna find anything mainstream at all whatsoever. Like there's a lot of independent artists uh, that, you know, they've been around for like, I don't even know, like the forties probably in, in, in what it is like Latin America literature and a lot of music, a lot of punks, a lot of, um, you know, people who radical ideas and, and they all came together into this place and it's just so beautiful, you know, like people are so like fun, they're so amicable, they're so like lovable with each other. It's kind of like this, this they actually have this utopia and uh, kind of like community where they all came together and, and they do a lot of, um, uh, you know, sh the share economy that we see a lot in, in permaculture and sustainability as well. It just doesn't have the glamour of, of you know, like like people now that they just because they go to Whole Foods, they think that that's a big step for them. But anyway, that's like, that's probably uh, stuff for another topic. But yeah, like I, I was 15 years old. I I, I spent a, a quite some time over there. I was still merging myself into all of these people, all of this culture. I came back to, to Northern California, to Northern uh, Baja and that's when I had my first, like the first drug that I ever, ever, ever had. It wasn't alcohol. It wasn't even like a cigar. It was like LSD. So <laughs> one of wow. my friends. Team rabbit hole all the way. Yeah. Like it, it's intense, man. Um, all of these, the, the first time I, I actually did, I don't, I don't think that it will be like some sort of an like overdose, but it, but I didn't feel it that way. Like, I never, one of the things that, that it amazed me was that I never had a bad trip, actually. Uh, they, I got to the point where I was taking five times a day and, and then, you know, like that obviously has these consequences, like physical consequences as well. Damn, Letty. That's a serious uh, yeah. tripper. Good job. Thanks. I don't know. <laughs> like you're the first, the first person who says good job, but yeah. No, I think Thanks. it's cool. Expanding consciousness <laughs> is important. I've, I mean, the most I've ever done was two hits. So, what would you say have been uh, detrimental effects of, let's say, over usage? I, I'll say that it does. I mean, it does affect you. The over, over, overdosing on on psychedelics and. And I'm saying this in general because I've tried a couple. Um, it has more like con like uh, consequences in your physical reality than it actually does to your consciousness itself. Um, and I'm just saying like in a 3D way as possible. You know the, that um, the, your your physique your physique. You know you, the way 
your nutrition levels, the way that um, you're not maybe, you, there's a couple of like a biochemical imbalance. There's a biochemical imbalance actually uh, that occurs when you are overdosing uh, too much, right? Like obviously it, it has a great uh, potential for your mind, expanding your mind, but but at the same time, like we, we I mean, we're still physical beings and, and that's one of the, the things that um, kind of affects you all in, in the long run. But yeah, so I, I was I was just like going all the way there, and and at that time I I didn't look like the typical Mexican girl who goes to school and goes to church on Sundays. Like I in high school I had a mohawk, and it was like probably like if you open your hand and you put one hand above the other one, it was that long, and I had shaved my sides. I you know I was definitely like this radical uh, chick that came from, you know, this, this like, uh, religious, like, very hardcore religious family. Obviously, like, I, I think that says a lot for itself. Like, my family was never happy about that because you can see my cousins, you can see the people around me. And they were, like, the typical pretty girls, you know, and, well, I, it was just not my path. Um, and plus, like, I was very submerged into the things that I, that I always like to do and, and, and to know. But there was a part of me that I, that I felt so inclined to to I guess it was through that like uh, openness or mind um, open mindedness that I gained through the psychedelic that I had at that time um, that I felt like they need to to actually help the world and help to make the world a better place and and I've always had these like dreamy um, well, I would say personality as well of like you know these utopian uh, you know brain waves that that I tend to channel from time to time. And so it was, for me, it was logical to actually go to law school. Uh, I was like, yeah, you know what? Like lawyers you know, are five the- Hit the vast of the day yeah. in a Mohawk going to law school. How did that transition occur? Exactly. So yeah, like that's what I'm saying. Like it, I have like these really, there is a part of me that is like hundred percent logical. Like I'm, I just think logically most of the time. So for me, it just made total sense, you know, like, okay, like lawyers do what I always wanted to do. They help people. They, they actually help, you know, the, there was a whole, there was like a, some sort of like a rebellious strike to myself of, of like, yeah, like if I infiltrate the system, uh, I will be able to like change, you know, like societal, um, sorry, so uh, social injustice and, and cause I, I pretty much grew up Look, like watching that, you know, I, I grew up in a middle class um, family, but uh, I, I experienced a lot of social injustice. I've seen, you know, the suffering of my people. I've seen uh, what ignorance does to people and, and how easy it is to manipulate them into doing things that they don't want to just because they're not aware of what's happening in their own world. So I was very aware of that. And for me, you know, being a lawyer meant that. I will be able, you know, I, I was like kind of like being able to, to overcome those so, uh, social injustices. But um, yeah, no, I, I remember like the first year that I attended uh, law school, because it was funny, you know, like I finished uh, my, I finished high school and then I right away, I, I got into college. I got to university here in Mexico. Obviously I was, uh, as I've always been a, um, like I study everything here in Mexico, you know, like I know the educational system a hundred percent. But as a brain student, 
because I wasn't born here. So, so when I, when I attended the university, my first year, I was like with my hair already grew. So I had uh, purple dreadlocks. My face was all pierced. I had tattoos and I actually never, I never saw like I, I for me, what people, what other people were going to think about me, it never actually had a, a tremendous effect on me that it impeded me to, to stop doing the things that I wanted to do or the things that I wanted to say mainly. So Jupiter and Aries, I mean, you're, you're a rebel. Yeah. Like, I guess so. I mean, yeah, like now you're going to do I, it your way, no matter how you cut it, you're going to be hat loud and proud <laughs> and love doing it because of all that Leah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's, and then like there's my Gemini side of it. Right. So I'm very like extremely curious when I became curious, like the Leo nature of, of me, you know, of the Leo cat, you know, right. Or like the lion or whatever, but like the cat type of like the cat uh, nature of, of being curious about things that shine or move or, you know, so. For me, my real goal, I found the real goal in utopian ideologies. So that for me was like, kind of like my uh, mental masturbation pretty much. So, so when I, when I went to the university, I got, you know, the first year, second year, third year, and I was a, a fucking great student, like my professors or some of them kind of like, they had this, this type of like behavior to, towards me that they seem that they hated me, but in reality, always after the class, they will like congratulate me because they will say things of like, we need more lawyers that are uh, in touch with their convictions rather than with money. Like we need more lawyers like you, like we do need people like you. We need people that are in touch with, with the things that actually matter, not, you know, just the material possessions. So that gave me like a lot of popularity in, in law school and I, then I, you know, I was just like jamming with some friends one Saturday evening and one of them was like, Hey dude, like you want to sing this song? And, uh, and you know, it was like their, their hardcore punk band. And I was like, sure. Like, you know, I know the song, so, you know, whatever, I'll sing it. So I started singing Well, it wasn't actually singing. I was screaming. Uh, so I started screaming my lungs out and, and yeah, and then like a week later, I was like the singer of this like hardcore punk band while attending law school. What was the name of the band? The band, it was called Dipsophobia, which uh, Dipsophobia means it translates the phobia of getting drunk. Like it was obviously like a fucking uh, oxymoron or yeah, complete, complete satire. You're good. So um, keep going. I didn't mean it up to you. No, no, that's cool. I just don't, I feel like I'm talking too much, so I don't know if that's... No, it's cool. <laughs> I okay, mean, great. hit mute when you don't want to talk. Rafael, do you have any questions so far? Or do you want to keep going? Do you want to take a music break? What are you thinking? Oh, it's up to you. I gladly keep listening, but we can also do a music break. Let's keep talking. Okay. I was so gonna keep get going. To the... College. Yeah, let's, like, so you kicked it. You're, I mean, Mercury and Virgo, kicking ass, being a good student. What happens next? Yeah, so so I I like a week later I became like this uh, singer from this hardcore punk band here in, in in Baja, and my 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 thing at that time because I was um, you know all the experiences that I lived before before like prior to my you know I was twenty years old I'm talking about you know thirteen years ago 
I was 20 years old and I was like, you know, my first year of law school, second year of law school, I was um, the singer of this hardcore punk band. And I wasn't not only singing, but I also, I was actually writing the lyrics. So most of my lyrics were uh, pretty much vocalizing all the social injustices that I live, the, the um, uh, inhumane treatment that, that we live here in, in this, um, third world countries and all the negligence that exists within the healthcare system, um, you know, real shit. So, so that real shit, uh, for me, it was just like a form of expressing myself, but I guess people liked it so much that we had shows, you know, we had to tour to LA, we have tourings to San Diego, um, also Tijuana and here in Baja as well. And people were liking it and, and, it, it was, the, it got to the point where I had to like, uh, kind of, I felt like I had to jeopardize between my um, Rock music. dreams or yeah. law school. Yeah, exactly. So I was already, but by then I was already like 23, 24. And, and one of those psychedelic, uh, for me, like getting those uh, breakthroughs, it was, it was constant, you know, I would never look for them because they always happened to me. And as I was mentioned before, like, I felt like I lived the whole cyclical nature of creation where, where you go through periods of, in Kabbalah, we call it um, the circle of life force. So we go, you go through periods of restriction and then, and then once the restriction is completed, then you go through, uh, um, you go through periods of, channeling uh, what you pretty much um, sue dur during those times of restriction. So I lived through that, you know, I lived without being actually fully conscious of it. Like I lived through all of that, of, of restricting myself in certain areas of not letting um, my convictions to be polluted with, with the mainstream mentality. And at the same time, I was able to channel uh, all those artistic creations and all that creativity that I, that I infused, you know, my work with. And, but then, then it got to the point where, where it just didn't make sense anymore. And, and it happens to me, you know, it happens from time to time. And, you know, as, as, as a, the nature of creation, and I would, I would give you some sort of like an analogy, like, it's like when you're in love with someone, you, you cannot expect to be in love all the time, fully, hundred percent in love all the time right like that would be crazy like there's periods where, where you're in love then there are sort of periods where where yeah you know like things get a little bit quiet and, and then you have to put a little bit more work and and then again you know like what i'm trying to say is like you mature you mature through through your relationship that you have with your art dare we say you get tempered yeah exactly yeah thanks so so yeah, like I, I got to the point where I was just like, I was done, I was done with the system because I, I worked for a government agency during the time that I was a student uh, where I saw a lot of fucked up shit, you know, like I, I saw how the real society, you know, not the society that you see on the media, not the society that you get to experience through your own uh, social circles, but like the actual, you know, the overall spectrum of like how, um, how much, you know, 
the, how big is the, the crisis is, you know, like how big the crisis, not only environmentally, but also like socially, you know, like the, the real meat of, of this whole, you know, like, I guess if I could put it in simple words, I just got to see the void for what it was and it wasn't pretty. So I, I was 24 and I woke up one day and I was just like, you know what, fuck this, fuck them, fuck my mom, fuck, fuck my schooling, fuck my band, fuck, you know, like it just, it just wasn't enough for me. You know, I just felt that it didn't fulfill that part of me that, that I was craving or, or I, I felt like it, it more than anything, it felt, it, it fulfilled my ego needs, but it wasn't fulfilling my actual, uh, you know, my Soul purpose. mission. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's big so, of you to get over that hurdle because, I mean, I'm sure it would have been comfortable and easy just to be a rock star, you know, doing the thing and not, you know what I mean? Like, you could have settled. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, many of my friends did, you know, and, and many of them, they actually left their careers for the music. And even though, like, at that time, because we're all kind of immature, like, I felt that it was a rush decision for them. Um, they fully embraced it for like, like what, like two years until the magic stopped. Like I said, like the nature of creation. So, and then the magic was gone. And then there were also like out of everything, you know, they didn't have money to pay the rent. They didn't have money to like, one of them were having kids and some of them. And so how are you going to pay a child support? And like, you know, shit like that. So reality hit them very hardcore and, and, and I'm not judging them. It's just that, that there is a point where you actually need to contemplate yourself in, through, in that lens, you know, in that picture, you have to put your needs first as well, uh, instead of, you know, just the, the, the high that you get from, from being out there. Right. I mean, in a sense, it's like, you've got all this fire and then all this air, not just you, but your bandmates and all this stuff. And then at some point they're like, we have to ground and be emotionally responsible and stuff like that. Yes, and not only not only responsible with the band itself because that's another, you know, that's another thing for itself. Um, the fact that I was writing lyrics with like conscious content, and then they will get fucked up, and all of a sudden they would just be like, "No, you should just talk about like your experience with alcohol or like us skating and you know us going to the park or a party." And like they wanted to be like Sublime to, or something, be a party band. More than Sublime, there is a, uh, you know, I don't know if you know the the hardcore scene at all, but like there is this band that is called Bad Brains. So, I've heard of them, yeah. Yeah, Bad Brains, they were the first uh, band ever who actually played hardcore. But the funny part is that they are all African-Americans, which is like a complete mindfuck for the people who are in that movement because most of them are white. Like, yeah, straight up white. Um so, but these guys were like, not only the energy, the, the energy, the passion, the, 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 the persona, the, everything that they made of that band, but it was also the conscious lyrics, you know, like they were like, like straight up, um, shamans, you know, like if I can say in a sense that it's something that it makes sense to me, like they were like straight up shamans for sure of their time. Like that's how Rage Against the Machine is to me. I mean, similar, not totally, uh, but very political magic where they'll, they'll wow you up in a certain way. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like, yeah. Like, let's put it this way. Yeah. It's kind of like Rage Against the Machine, but, um, but towards the hardcore part of it, like in hardcore, there is a, in hardcore music, you only have one minute to express your ideas. Like if you over, if you pass the minute time 
Because at the end of the day, it's about the, the rage, right? Like, it's about the rage. It's about, like, putting out there um, those feelings it's of... It's hard to of, be sustained and explosive for more than a minute, basically. But then, so, it, okay, yeah. So in that minute, you, then you have to deliver a quality content, whether, like, that's the whole point of it. Like, like to make people conscious in that minute, in most of these bands, like Bad Brains, Minor Threat, uh, Black Flag, um, Black Flag... So it, it moves a little bit toward the punk part of it because it's, it's a little bit more, you know, um, the lyrics are a little bit more longer. And, and like, this is just a technical shit, obviously. But, um, but yeah, like, then, then the, the, what I'm saying is like, you know, if it, if for me, it, re I, it resonated to me if it had some sort of purpose or conscious uh, content to, to what I was doing or to people around me were doing. And, and unfortunately, they weren't, right? Like, not even my band members. Uh, they were a little bit misogynist just because, you know, that's, I guess, that's well known within the rock. Like, any any other um, rock and roll, um, uh, how do you call that? Like, subdivision of the music, like... Um, subculture. It's like, it's hardcore. Yeah, I mean, subculture. That's the point. So, like, stuff like Slayer, even though that's more metal and stuff, it's like, they tend to get pretty violent. Yeah, exactly. But then they all they all have this like misogynist part of it, where where like you know if you're a female, then they don't actually see you as a female. They just see you as an object, like literally. But it's not like in a mainstream way. Like they, it's not about sexualizing you. It's more about like actually getting to the core of you. Like they see you as someone weak, right? And and the fact that I was like the lead singer of this band, and I was also the author, and like we were getting acclaim and all of that. It definitely creates some sort of a, a, you know, negative perception of my of myself towards like my band members. Like they, what I'm saying is like they they never liked that. You know, they never liked that that I was getting the attention and 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 also the fact that that I was I was a girl. You know, in a movement that is overly populated by by male. Um, if only you could have told them that you were a Leo Sun and Moon. <laughs> and Mercury and Mars, I mean Venus and Mars, and they would have just understood that you're going to be the rock star with the Jupiter Aries. Um, let's take a quick music break, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk about what you did after you kind of chose the school route, it seems, because you're not in a punk band no more. So we'll be right back. Uh, Raphael picked a song, so hopefully you enjoy. Yay! Back to Team Rebel Tool Edition 167. Well, maybe you can tell I'm not much of a hardcore listener. I was going to say, that was the temperance of that one-minute uh, explosion of the hardcore. That was chill, chill, dub. I liked it, though, as far as dub goes. So, Letty, I'm kind of curious. How have you gotten into permaculture and Kabbalah? We'll get there, but, like, I mean, you started doing the school route. Keep going with that. Yeah, so <clears throat> that was a really nice song, by the way. Um, uh that happened during that time, you know, where I, where I completely decided to disengage from my actual or normal reality and pretty much start shredding my old personalities and, you know, become more in tune for the things that I actually wanted to do and the things that I actually wanted to feel and the things that I actually wanted to see around me. And, and I know I went to the education part of it, but that's pretty much my dad you know i've been in school i'm 33 years old and i this is the last year that i actually attended school so 
I don't have that much of a of a mm, social. Uh, even though I'm a Leo and all that, and I Gemini rising, like I actually wasn't as social as as other people that I that I that were, you know, I, you know, I always tend to myself to my studies to my, uh, you know, curiosity than to actually be out there. And I guess that that, that was another part of me that. It wasn't actually happy to be always around people when I actually didn't enjoy it as much. So uh, when I decided to completely quit all of that uh, lifestyle in general and my schooling as well, uh, I just you know told my mom that because I was a U.S. citizen, then I was just gonna pursue something in in my home country, and you know that was a big uh, stage in my life because of the fact that I was already 23, 24, um, you know, family and everyone expects you to be married at that age. And especially if you're a girl here, like you expected to have at least two or three kids. Um, and for them seeing myself to go to, to the same route again, it wasn't uh, as easy as, as, you know, it wasn't like as digestible for them at all. So I knew that I had to do it by myself and I had to start all over from scratch, but this time I was gonna make it uh, real, I was gonna make it worth it and I was gonna make it awesome for myself. So yeah, I did, I, I, I started um, attending community college because in law school, we had to learn uh, foreign language. Is, English is not required because we don't have the same uh, judicial system. So uh, it's not even the same, um, anyways, yeah, that's history. But yeah, so I, my second language, it actually was, uh, it was actually German. Um, and then oh, totally. I had to, yeah. So, so you and Raphael I, could actually chat in German and I would, I have no clue what you're talking about. Ich bin sie Deutsch. Yeah. No, like, honestly, like, I kind of lost it because I didn't have anyone to actually practice with. Um, and and then again, you know, it was during the time that I pretty much uh, changed my my life course. So yeah, I mean, I just you know, it was something that happened. And then and then I start I had to start pretty much from scratch. You know, like I I had to start from attending these ESL classes and and start from the bottom. You know, so she might not like actually, hanging out with people, but she is popular clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. Um, so this is actually my my fifth year speaking English, and I know it's not like the best, but you know, I'm getting there. Um, That's so, good practice. You're doing great. Better than my Spanish. No hablo. I was in Ecuador for three months and I didn't speak a fucking word, and that was really hard because I had Google Translate, and I would just show these kids that I was smoking weed with and drinking with and stuff, and be like. Like, we'd have small talk, and they would practice their English with me, but I couldn't, I mean, I never got the hang of Spanish. That's cool. Yeah, you know, Spanish is not that hard if you learn the, the actual, um, like, the correct way, like, the proper Spanish. But if you, re if you learn uh, informal Spanish, then you'll completely lost. Because, you know, we have, like, a lot of... Uh, um, a lot of we use a lot of like weird adjectives for everything we tend to describe the world in, like it's kind of messy honestly it's not like the best 
but um but yeah like if you learn like the proper spanish the formal spanish then it will be so much easier for you word i'm actually teaching myself japanese right now so maybe spanish next after that so out of curiosity um what how did you get into permaculture and how did you get into kabbalah so so when i when i came to United States again, California, I learned English and then I had to decide for a major, a new major, right? Like, because I, you know, I left law school. So I pretty much decided to study plant sciences because I always felt deeply connected to, to nature. I feel more connected to nature than, than on plants, more, you know, not animals or insects, but like plants itself um, than actual humans. So it just made a lot of sense to me, you know, and and I, I started from there, I started studying plant sciences and it just became like second nature to me that I was already uh, doing, taking like biochemistry classes, even within the next, within the first two years of, of learning English, because he was just fascinated. So I met a couple of people just because I, I'm the type of person that like, if you meet me on the street, like I will totally tell you about my passions and like I will never shut up for that. Um, I, w I wouldn't hide myself for anything. So I would, you know, just talk to random people. And then out of the sudden, I find myself like uh, applying for this scholarship from the Permaculture Institute of Australia. And, you know, not even a day after like I got accepted and that's when I became, I started studying and I became a certified permaculture designer. Uh, within my first two years of learning English and, and also my schooling. So that was like uh, a big, you know, achievement for me. It definitely changed my life and it, it changed the outlook of, of the things that I that I wanted to see in this world manifested. And and as soon as I got that, as soon as I got certified, I began teaching, uh, you know, giving presentations, conferences, and workshops in the United States and Mexico, within uh, obviously close to the borderline between the United States and Mexico, about you know anything from um, recycling, composting, plant nutrition, uh, plant biodynamics, uh, plant biochemistry, soil science, uh, you know, anything that I, I could ever, you know, get myself into. And I will give them in Spanish and English. Because, you know, for me, uh, and I'm just saying this because it, it kind of like gets back into to my past self, as I like to call it, but I, you know, I just found myself into doing something that it actually had a, prof I think even more profound impact than what law school could provide me was the fact that I was able to not only help people understand a little bit better uh, the science of nature or the science behind our physical world, but also uh, how can you benefit from it and how can you at the same time have a symbiotic relationship with the environment around you. Um, so yeah, so that was like a big thing for me and, and, and from then, like it just, you know, it exploded like out of nowhere, like I was making a lot of money just by giving workshops and you know, like I, I was, I'm not the type of person who will like, um, charge people as much, especially because I know the, the, the economic, you know, uh, uh, situation of people here in, in the other side of the border but also because I wanted people to feel more attracted to it than just thinking about in terms of monetary uh, investment. But anyways, um, so I make a lot of money of it, but it's funny because um, 
I guess it just relates to the Kabbalah part of it, but like the money that I was getting from my financial aid, because you know, I live with my mom, so I wasn't actually paying rent or anything. So the money that I was getting from my financial aid, I used to, I, all of it, I invested into my art, like to actually uh, get the tools that I needed to, to keep moving forward with like providing the equipment that they need if they want to take a workshop with me. And not even six months passed where I was already in the newspaper here. It was like a big, you know, I was in the front page of the newspaper here in Baja. Um, That's what's up, seeing, Leo, making, making them big waves. Yeah, like it, it's just something that, you know, I never think, I never thought about it as my own personal gain. It was more about if I can share with more people, then this, like, this is the way to go. And then I also got invited to a couple of radio talks in from the from the universities here in Baja, like different state universities. And I guess what people liked it the most was the fact that I wasn't that, and it was just because of the feedback that I received. It was because even though I look kind of hippie in their eyes, like I wasn't talking hippie shit for them, you know, like I was talking like real science. I was talking about real content of things that that it wasn't easy it wasn't easy for the opposition to to get away with and, and just be like undermining my work. Does that make sense? Totally, yeah. I mean, the package might look, you know, radical, but you have a brain, so you used it. Yeah, so, so it's funny because the people who were against my work, it wasn't like regular people. It was the fucking government, you know. Um, eight, more, eight months into after my I got certified I began this uh, environmental justice group where it was I just called you know one of my conferences I just called I make a call of attention of you know just putting it out there that you know, having a, a regenerative uh, system within one of the uh, in one of the lowest income communities that you can ever in Baja like it will be so we will have like so much impact than what we ever, could ever have in our own lives, like in our own house, because of those people. They, since we have like a manufacturing companies here, like most of them of the industries are manufacturing companies coming from Europe, coming from Canada and the United States. Uh, we have geothermal plants, and all the energy that we produce goes directly to United States, San Diego, LA, Canada. You know, like it's crazy, crazy shit here and how much the earth has been abused in, in the borderline between the uh, United States and Mexico. Like, so I put, I put the awareness, the eye out of, you know, out in public for all of them. And, and yeah, like it wasn't, uh, it, took, it didn't took too long where like 12 uh, young professionals wanted to participate in this project. And long story short, we, we, we couldn't finalize the project because of, the government opposition that I found, you know, at that time there was uh, two. Gov there was like a, the election for uh, this government position. Like there's going to be a switch of, of uh, political parties. There's one that is called Pan, uh, which translates to breath, but in reality is P-A-N. Um, and then the other one that is called Pre, uh, and this is like the more hardcore conservative party that. You know, it's kind of like translate to like, actually like Republican type of thing. So there was going to be a transition from one or the other. And and it was funny because my work was getting so much attention from, from the public that they kind of wanted to just 
you know, out of nowhere, like contact me and take pictures with me and, and saying as if they were actually the ones funding my work and, you know, like if they were the ones actually doing this for, for the community instead of looking at it as an uh, isolated and independent event. So it was, it became kind of creepy. They were stealing your thunder, you mean? Oh yeah, totally, like 100%. And it was kind of creepy because the fucked up thing about Mexico is like, yeah, like obviously like any other country, I guess, but you know, we, we live so closely to the realness of, of uh, the corruption and within the government institutions and departments and also police state, you know, relationship that exists here is just so um, not like obviously perfect. But, um, but uh, yeah, there was a point where I was like afraid of my own life of, you know, I remember going to the, you know, we have to, I, I can't, I get a donation from one of these like big corporations um, that are like a meat uh, producers. And, and this company, because they knew the value of the project, they just, without even saying like, they didn't want any recognition out of it. It was just like, you know, you could translate to kind of like a good faith uh, donation. Um, they donated kind of almost like uh, 500 pounds of of, uh, of uh, fertilized soil. And and it was like, you know, a big thing for our project because we actually needed this, this uh, enriched soil. Um, but it was funny because during that uh, tumultuous situation, uh you see the police picking up the soil or picking up you know the bags and you also see, i got to even see it with my own eyes like police members uh ripping up ripping out the trees that were like newly planted and it was it, was, it just it was so devastating you know to actually like experience that but you know it was it was part of everything i guess it was part of, of of how things you know the journey that i experienced there but yeah you know like most of my projects are like i start after that project it gave me the the platform to to talk to even you know internationally i was invited to this uh, permacultural convergence in san diego and my topic and that's a topic that i am actually very fluent in is the arid uh, permaculture and arid landscapes because we live in a, a desert area, so so that's pretty much the type of permaculture that I specialize in or with. Um, they had to have a regenerative uh, system in a fucking desert, right? Um, where you know water, uh, there's water scarcity, there is nutrition scarcity as well, and nutrition deficiency, and you know how you can have like an actual um, voluptuous and uh, diverse ecological system in in a fucking desert. What's the secret? <laughs> What's the secret? It was just I water mean, water crisis. probably, right? But what else? Yeah, it's mainly if you, if you want me to summarize it that like um, in two sentences, I'll say like water retention or humidity retention, and um, Definitely monitoring, like as part of the, the the process, like you definitely need a lot of monitoring the first uh, two years of the project, and also um, 
understand nutrition, nutritional intake and nutritional deficiencies within the plants in the, in the dynamic, diverse and dynamic system that you're uh, growing. I live because, up in the high know, like, Colorado, uh, like plains, so like not the desert desert, but high plains. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, the Arkansas River runs through here and I'm near like big snowy mountains, but like it's pretty much arid. So I was kind of curious. I mean, obviously water's life. <laughs> so that seems to be the big part. Yeah, um, water retention. And, and if you can retain water for longer periods of time, and I'm saying like months, um, if you understand the soil dynamic that exists within that system, even though we can, you can see it as, as desert or like high plain desert, um, the nutrients in that soil, they're way different than like here we are, I think we are like a hundred uh, feet uh, down the, the sea level. So it's way, you know, the pressure and all of that is different than what you have over there. But um, yeah, sure. and understand and understand your, your plants, you know, like understand the diversity of the place and what plants are edible. Obviously it's not gonna, you're not gonna have a peach tree over there. Like, and that's another thing, you know, you have to adjust to your biocultural um, conditions of the specific place that we're talking about. And that, that was, you know, it, it was funny because that's when I started realizing, I, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I, I look at it with the scientific lens but then as I start working with it, with these systems and like with people and, you know, understand the, the, all the, um, the dynamic that exists within, you know, humans and nature, I start seeing that, um, that, uh, that it, it, it is not so much about you having food in, in, you know, in your nearby, um, or close to you, but it's more about understanding the, it's a cultural shift that it has to exist within yourself of understanding that not because uh, your system or your ecological system looks dead to your own eyes, it means that it's actually dead, or not because it looks uh, sad or whatever. You know, like people put these all these human uh, adjectives to to nature, which shouldn't be that way. But but like more than anything, it was like the shift of consciousness in people of like hey, like you can actually get nutritious fruit from this plant. And yeah, it might not be a fucking apple that comes from Ecuador or, or a banana that comes from, uh, you know, Costa Rica, but you know, you can get these other type of fruits and like these other type of vegetables. And they're also, you know, very nutritious to your own health. And, and what kind of yeah, fruits like, and vegetables are growing in an arid situation? Well, vegetables, we get all the, the mainly the roots of, um uh species such as uh onions and um uh sweet potatoes and you know like all these different type of uh i think they're called i forgot the name but like um yeah i forgot the name of it right oh, now good so like subterranean kind of things like carrots onions potatoes. yeah carrots mm-hmm. and a watermelon as well uh melons um in vegetables if you you have to learn the you have to learn the whole uh system like the nature the the, the cycle of like you know the the seasons and um and understand that you know like early during the year like obviously when it's a little bit cooler you can plant some type different types of herbs and vegetables and since we live in a hard uh desert meaning that 
we only have two weathers here like our summers are for about 125 degrees and our winters are like way 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 colder but it's like dry cold we have no humidity whatsoever in any of those uh seasons so it's like this radical like you know during the day we have right now we are 118 right now like right now that i'm talking to you and at night it's just gonna be like around uh 75 70 69 degrees so it's like this, this huge um pretty much transition that exists in temperature and you have to have some sort of like a, a control environment for your plants and your system to actually flourish. Like the temperance card that you got to bring that balance in. So I'm kind of curious, uh, Rafael, do you have any kind of questions about any of that before I jump into Kabbalah? Well, permaculture is always a great topic. Maybe let's, if you can mute yourself just briefly. Thank you. Um, yeah, permaculture is always great. I'm thinking of Majid Abdelaziz, who's been doing quite a few shows in German. I believe he's French speaking. What he does, I sent you the link, uh, Leticia, his uh, well, company name or project name is called Desert Greening. And uh, while certainly, you know, specific plants and so on, just like you outlined, is very much vital. I remember also talking with uh, Samuel Barnes about this idea, like if you have even a completely, in a sense, devastated or dysfunctional region, all you do is you send like a group of indigenous there, maybe like 30 or 40. And within a generation, you know, the whole area is new. Or we know the other stories of individuals just uh, planting trees. And if you're dedicated to that, you know, an entire valley uh, can change uh, through the hands of very few. However, with desert greening, what they do is they actually use, as I understand, sphere harmonics. And like uh, Wilhelm Reich, I think Wilhelm is his name, Reich. Uh, so Reichian uh, devices, let's say which have to do, as I understand, with, um, well, basically collating metal rods in a proper way. One related term is called cloud busters. So basically what you can do, and this may also, again, relate to the whole Tartaria angle with, you know, these strange huge buildings, strange metal constructions. But anyhow, what you do is if you construct this properly, as I understand, is you can basically create clouds and rain at will amplified through these kind of uh yeah mainly metal uh devices yeah 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 that um there is this uh, i don't know if you mentioned him but like this guy's name is geoff lawton and he's one of the um the kind of like the creators of that type of movement he i think right now he's in israel or one of those middle eastern countries where he pretty much built from rocks, like literally rock, uh, rocks, uh, and like, uh, you know, he works a lot with desertification, um, and like, you know, how to pretty much renovate all those systems as well. But yeah, you know, like it's so, it's so permaculture is so it's it's such a complex and like fascinating topic. Um, but if you kind of look at it from the above perspective, like if you understand the physics of of you know the physical world, you understand the chemistry, the biophysics, the um, pretty much the uh, biological function of like each organism and, and you dive deep into the science part of it. It's, it's fascinating. But then, you know, as most people are in contact with this movement, then you also see a different different trends depending on the on the region that, like I said, you know, like you have to adapt to your biocultural regions of the place. 
So if you're, you're telling me that they're able to achieve something like that, then it just makes total sense, right? Like you, the cool thing about permaculture is that you cannot, you, the, the, the root of it is the science, but then like it, it can mutate into this, you know, depending on the part of the world that you are and you want to practice it, it mutates into this beautiful um, butterfly effect, right? Like of, of um, like literal diversification of, of these systems. And, and you know, the, the, one of the things that it sucks the most here uh, in the United States is that as more people were aware during my time, obviously, like I'm talking about 2012, 2013, um, as more people became aware of, you know, there, obviously there were people aware of it, but like as more people became more conscious about this permaculture system, like what can we do to regenerate the world? Um, the, then they also kind of like wanted to incorporate the spiritual side of it, like their own side of the, their own spiritual meaning into permaculture. So we get, we got a lot, like, I think this is something that's happening. A lot of Christians and a lot of, um, I mean, I don't have anything with religious people, but I'm just saying it like bluntly. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, Christians and, uh, evangelics and, uh, Methodists and like all these different, uh, you know, um, random religions joining into the permaculture movement because they, for them, they have a better understanding of like what nature is because, you know, it was given to them by God in the Bible and this and that. So, um, the stewardship was, angle where they're like, we're stewards of the world. We let's take care of it. And they have maybe an ethical concern and a moral obligation that maybe some people wouldn't have. That's what you're saying. Yeah. But you know, Yes, exactly. But at the same time, it got so bad that if you weren't attending their... Uh, oh, you were a devil worshiper if you weren't joining the church service. Then you you weren't a real permaculturist to their eyes, you know? Like, you aren't a, a real permaculturist if you're not attending the church service with them, if you're not making these prayers, and if you're not doing all these rituals. Because one of the things that I'm... And it's just, you know, part of, like, my own uh, self... Like one of the things that I'm most against, like if I can be against something, that's the only thing is like, I'm not uh, a fully believer of like, if I have to have all these rituals and if I have to dress a certain way, if I have to do certain things, like that's pretty much what I disengaged before. Like I didn't like the fact that, that if I wasn't wearing black, then my the punk scene that I was part of, they weren't happy with, you know, and, or like even even it's like within conformity the, and dogmatism kind of it's like anybody yeah, whether it's it punks rock scenes or Christian everyone. evangelicals yeah like everyone it seems they need a little bit a little temperance it seems also that um I, I'm realizing the unfinished business card was the other card so it's like a lot of these Christians and people thought maybe there's unfinished business that we needed to do in our in terms of like bringing back the green stuff but then people who have to, you know people who think they have to sell God to you. It's like an agenda, some unfinished business maybe in their mind. They're like, get them on board. Yeah, exactly. Like they think they since you, I, I think that they're so afraid of of disengaging from what their own status quo is. You know, like they're so afraid of like kind of opening your eyes and mind to what actually nature. Like when once you dive deep into this world of like permaculture and like you see or the huge impact that you have, like, the, like this amazing relationship that you can have with mother nature. And it gives you the same way that you give her. And like, this, this is like symbiotic relationship that is beautiful. You know, it, 
it, it's definitely incomprehensible. It's not, it's like all, obviously out of, you know, uh, the common mind wouldn't like simply understand something like this. But I think these, these different religious groups that are taking over permaculture movements or philosophies are kind of, uh, for me, like they're afraid of that. They're afraid of, of knowing that you can be an independent, uh, sovereign uh, human being with the need for a mediator to be connected to nature. But like they, they want to take over, they want to be the mediators between you and nature in a way that is, it has become such a downfall. You know, like one of, once I finished, I got my, my associate's degree in mathematics and science and with honors and like uh, also I got my, my first biochemistry research and I also graduated with honors from that. And that gave me a full right to UC Davis, right? Like, so I, I went to UC Davis and I studied, um, well, the whole name is kind of like long, but bear with me, um, environmental horticulture and urban forestry with emphasis in ecological restoration and biodiversity. So, so ecological restoration and biodiversity, that was my special specialization. And like, you know, just long story short, like I, once I, once I was there, I, I realized like how powerful all these knowledge in, you know, in reality, like how powerful it is and why companies and corporations such as Monsanto were so, uh you know uh laser focus on on the graduates or the people who were graduating from that those type of programs because they knew that the knowledge and they knew the impact that you could have with with that type of um of knowledge in general but um but yeah like I, the 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 sad like is it i just want to be a little bit more realistic when it comes to permaculture because i know there, there might be people out there that you know you're just looking for something that you know to to make this world a better place or whatever but um for me it was kind of disappointing to to experience this type of uh, religious group that wanted to take over um beautiful movements like like permaculture and this like i say it's still happening and and it, for me i always come with an objective mind so once you're trying to divert me into believing into your fucking god then for me to just like you know care for the earth then i i just won't do it you know like it, I, I don't need an intermediate uh, mediator to do anything So, like that. quick question. I mean, you're into Kabbalah. How are you? How did you make that transition from being like very against, I guess, religion to something that's very Jewish in origin? Yeah. So the the you know my experience with with metaphysics and quantum physics and and energetics and biodynamic systems and all of that. Um, it has definitely been like a hundred percent experiential, you know, nothing that I've, that I currently believe in is, uh, it hasn't actually been tested before, uh, in my own experience, obviously in my own journey. So it actually, this is kind of like my, um, revelation, like, how do you say that? Like getting out of the closet type of moment, because, um, well, most people, the people around me, they know my background. They know that I come from a really hardcore science background. So for them listening or hearing me talking about energy or hearing talking to me about, um, you know, even spirituality for them is like, it's just like for the common mind, it doesn't make sense. Right. And 
especially because I work with a uh, very conservative uh, government agencies and departments like the California Department of Conservation, uh, UC Davis itself, and uh, for the Department of Plant Sciences, and you know different uh, state agencies where any idea that diverts from what they are currently experiencing as the actual reality uh, is wrong or is you know it's not something that you should even be talking about. But anyways, um, so through my through my life experience and also through through the knowledge that I've acquired through these years, uh, there was something. There was always a, this piece that it was missing, right? And and after doing a lot of inner work and and uh, I spent a lot of time with indigenous communities in Mexico as well. I travel a lot to to um, the south of Mexico to be connected a little bit more with my uh, heritage or or whatever was left of my heritage, I start, you know, noticing little patterns and noticing little things and that, like I said, like I come from a very logical um, mindset and background. So it's not like for me talking about this, it's not like, a, um, you know, like easy peasy or anything like that. But after like, you know, diving deep into into my own heritage, into the, the different realities, the, the people that I've, that I've come in contact with, I it just, you know, I start. Um, I was probably like, like nine years ago, where I just start connecting the dots, right? Like I, in the meantime, we, in the meantime of like me doing all of that and studying all of this, I was actually diving deep into the spiritual side of of life, right? Because I was so, for me, Catholicism it was so unfair to my family, it was so unfair to to the way they perceive the world and the fact that they're not they they for them they need to die in order for them to experience. Uh, full pleasure and, and happiness. It was just fucking bullshit for me, and I was, you know, my angry or my my kind of like rebellious um, side of myself was so against it that I started diving deep into other different uh, different religions and, and cultures as well. Like I've always been friends with people that are like Muslims, and I have a lot of Muslim friends, and and I'm able to actually talk the same way that I'm talking to you with them, like without uh any uh you know like just bluntly i'll say without no agenda behind or anything and so we will come to like our own understanding of of you know what spirituality really is and like what it, what it means to us and and it was funny because they also they they also have science backgrounds some of them study in stanford university they're now neurobiologists neuropsychologists and that's the people that I'm, i was actually really surrounded by and for all of us, it was just, it, it, it's a big thing, you know, like to come to that conclusion or like to make it public to, to actually state that, that yes, you know, like, like this, we live in a freaking, um, you know, we're just pure consciousness. To and, appeal to metaphysics to a lot of uh, scientific types is kind of like a party foul. That's kind of what you're saying. So yeah, I hear you. Yes, yes, it, it's like, or you, you know, when the only time that you will hear uh, in the scientific community, and just because I was uh, I was part of it, like people talking about these things was when they were when we were all drunk or when we were all high or whatever. You know, it wasn't never when we were like on our jobs and um, you know, like a normal setting. Like that was a type of thing. It's still the type of thing that you won't actually be. Things are changing, obviously, but you know, in the United States, and I'm saying this from the, the background that I come from, like it's still uh, a touchy subject, you know, and, and you better watch your words, you know, and you better 
like not all the um, uh, publishers in in you know when you write a research paper like not, not all people who want to. Yeah, and that's the problem. Exactly. We've had Rupert Sheldrick on the podcast, and he's kind of uh, he's got a banned TED talk, right? Rupert Sheldrick, and it's called like the Ten um, Dogmas of Science or something like that. I'm I'm forgetting. I'll send you a link or something. But basically, science is fine and all, and I like science, and people should be open minded to science and discoveries when it's coming from a pure place. But what starts happening is as much dogmatism and like. Um, agendas and stuff like that like that you were talking about with the christians like that starts happening in scientific communities and if you don't agree with the main you know contentions being proffered you'll be witch hunted basically or denied funding or whatever so it's problematic scientism is a problem yeah exactly like i think like i said like any dogmatic um perspective of the world and and that you, like I said, like it was funny because I thought that I was a rebel, like I, I was obviously a rebel in my own, uh, you know, my growing up and all of this. But then when I, I was a little bit more mature and I was like studying this and I was working with all these people and agencies and, and being surrounded by the, the actual scientists behind all, all the things that we see right now, you know, all the knowledge that we see published, um, the things that we, we find common science, like I was actually surrounded by, by the masterminds type of thing. From um, from the natural world, like I'm talking about, you know, neurobiologists, uh, botanists, plant scientists, engineers, and, and all of that. And even among us, it was it was something that we will have to be in someone else's house. Um, you have to be like 100% confident with these the people that you like trusting. You know, 100% trust with the people that you're surrounded by in order for you to have uh, this type of conversation of of you know like the obviousness of, of nature, like the obviousness of the interconnectedness that exists within us in our physical world and our reality. So it, it didn't take too long. So who I turned found... you on to Kabbalah? I mean, if you were just like, yeah. being like yeah, I like acid. Uh, I mean, I used to like acid and I love Gaia, basically kind of vibes. Like you're willing to be spiritual. How did you turn on to such a formal theory? Well, that, that's the thing, you know, like the, the, because I knew like, I come from my religious background, so I, I understand the Bible and I understand what I understand the Catholic Bible. I have to be more specific, and I understand the rituals and I understand all of that. Like it's something that I grew up with, and it was like fucking smashed into my head until probably this like until I die because my mom, my mom and my grandma and like all of them, they're still practicing it. So and after diving deep in, into all of these different philosophies of life and religions, uh, I found. Uh, I really interesting in that ties that ties well also with my the tattoo that you were mentioning. I I took a class and it was a class of um, molecular geometry and it's part of the organic chemistry uh, subject. So we we have to um, understand and 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 classify and also uh, differentiate between the mole- molecular structure and molecular geometry that exists in nature and like. Um, the form serves a purpose and like, you know, all of these things. So we start seeing, you know, like what power holds like to have a, uh, you like know, a trigonometric, who designed this kind of thing. Yeah. Like trigonometric figure, like what is the power that it holds, you know, like that molecule with that shape and how much power it has in, in your own biochemistry as a human being, but also like in the natural world. And like, if you put it in a macrocosmic, ma- macrocosmic uh, worldview, then you're just, I mean, 
or you're just gonna see that the the infiniteness of and the vastness of 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 you know creation itself. So I did this design on my own. Like I designed it myself and I just went to one of my friends to if you can do that to me. If you can like put it on my hand and, and that's pretty much what it means. You know, it was a profound imp that it had like molecular geometry that it had on, on my psyche. And while doing my studies, you know, I just stumbled upon um uh there was this the 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 difference between I think I found the, the, the geometry of the tree of life. Um and then, you know, it just caught my attention and it was simple as I caught my attention and I went all diving into it. And as like, I understand where you like, your question that you say, like how it, it's really um, dogmatic in, in, in some well, ways. No, it sounds it. like the way you got into it was very practical and reasonable since through geometry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it came, it, it actually came through my science point of view. It didn't came through like any other, you know, like I said, like, even though like I'm able to articulate and argue or you know discuss about these like uh, metaphysical uh, concepts, there's still the part of me like probably like 65% of myself that I still needs to make the logical you know you still need to put it on on earthy terms, right? So. Um, it, it was through molecular geometry that I actually got into into uh, Kabbalah, and and now I'm I'm eight years. I've, you know, we we call we call the 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 people who study Kabbalah. We we are actually called Kabbalah students. We never call ourselves Kabbalists um, because of all the egotistical um, uh, consequences that come from it. But um, what's the differentiation? Well. You know, yeah. Okay, so in in Kabbalah, in Kabbalah, we we definitely look into your your astrological sign, and let's say for a Leo, and I'm just gonna talk about my own experience. And for a Leo Gemini rising, uh, for me, uh, it will definitely appease even even if I get to the point where I'm fully uh, knowledgeable about about what you know Kabbalistic wisdom is and like all these techniques and all these different. Um, um, understanding of, of the human and divine consciousness, I also have to call myself a student. Why? Because of the uh, humbleness that comes with it. Like I'm, I will never be able to reach a state of like a, a fully uh, developed master if I'm not a student of my own self. Um, you know, it comes hand in hand. And, and as a Leo in, in Gemini Rising, I can tell you that it also pieces a lot to my ego. You know, like uh, for a Gemini, I feel like for us, we, if we if we know something we we like to know things at a surface level so so for for you to say that you know you're just a, a pure straight up kabbalist uh, without under, like the fully understanding of, of what it actually entails and for Aliyah to to put that into the world it just creates uh, more tikkun and tikkun is kind of like your karma that you came to this earth to this plane of existence time space reality to actually Kind of like burn off like if it's like calories right like you came to burn a couple of calories in this lifetime so so anyways like we we're trying to disengage as much as we can from from uh the ego consciousness which is like the 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 having things only for myself and for my own self-interest and my own self-pleasure like the the reputation or or all the the you know 
approval that I will get if I say that I'm a Kovalist instead of saying like, no, like honestly, I'm always learning and I have this more humble outlook of life of, yeah, like I will always, I have to keep learning because I'm, I'm a, I'm a chain, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm in constant movement. I'm, I'm a human being. Like we're not here just to be one rigid thing and, and stay there my whole life. So, so it was, you know, I did I definitely like I've, I've always done a lot of inner work, but like through Kabbalah, like it just pretty much escalated potentially, like uh, exponentially to the point where, where I am right now, you know, to the point that I am today. And, and if I put it more like in 3D world, like right now, um, I, I started from, you know, being a Kabbalah student, regular Kabbalah student, you know, just curious about the knowledge and wisdom. But now I am actually an uh, official translator of from Hebrew to English and English to Hebrew and Aramaic as well. And that's pretty much what I'm learning right now. Like I'm self uh, teaching myself the um, Aramaic. But um, yeah, like you think, yeah, I'm very intense. Like, honestly, like if you, that's one of the things that I have to, you know, break through my own shell of, of not being afraid of being this intense because this is pretty much how I was, I guess I was built, you know, that was my part of my software, but I need to put it out there as well. And, you know, in Kabbalah, we have, uh, when you, when you see the, the tree of life, you know, there is a, there is a bottom sephirat, right? Like the bottom one is called Malchut. I don't know how familiar you are from it. I'm minimally familiar with the Kabbalah um, and Raphael's probably more so. Yeah, exactly, a kingdom. So, uh, Malchut, we we say that um, Malchut is a physical world that we are actually currently experience, right? What you touch, what you feel, uh, what you might, uh, you know, everything that you experience through your your nine or eight senses right now, right at this moment. So three like um, D. Yeah, three D. Yeah, hundred percent. But um, when you're when when you're in in the Malchut reality, which is like the 3D world or like the actual, you know, reality that we live in, um, however you want to call it, we we have we came from we came with two different vessels. We most people think that oh, you know, that what I've talked with like mainstream, um, you know, opinionated people that they just think that it's only it's only one vessel, but in reality, it's two vessels, right? And and the first vessel is it's everything that you get from instant gratification. Where, whether it is um, masturbating just because you want to, like even mental, like that's one thing that I always mention because it's so true, like mental masturbation, right? Because it's a big thing for me. Like I, I'm so curious about everything that I can spend days and years and, you know, my whole lifetime in my head if I could. But, you know, I have to be a, a person from time to time and a girl from other times too. So, um so the, 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 the instant gratification you get from, from that 3D world, it, it goes to your first uh, vessel. And when we call, and this is just like basic terms, but it's like kind of like the platform, like the, 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 the foundation of Kabbalistic wisdom is that um, when you're able to restrict those, those uh, first instincts that, that you get from the 3D world, then, then the energy, goes up to your second vessel, which is the one that is connected directly to the second, uh, uh, the second separate, which is the third. So in order for you to elevate your consciousness, uh, and I'm, I, I guess I'm, I don't know, I'm, 
I'm kind of lost right now in my conversation, but I'm just explaining these terms. No, fluff um, you're going good. What would, um, Raphael, do you know what Tifret is if the kingdom was um, a coup? Beauty. Cool. Yeah, so. Tifret is beauty, I believe. It's right in the middle. It's number six. Yes, that, that's correct. So, so once you're able to actually restrict your, those early or uh, animal instincts that we all have, because at the end of the day, we're mammals with consciousness, obviously. But, um, but once we are able to restrict those immediate uh, needs that your body um, has, then that energy goes directly to your second, to your second um, uh, vessel. And that's, that's the gate of opening and channeling through these higher uh, levels of consciousness and wisdoms. Um, so, so yeah, like that, that was um, the, the cool thing about Kabbalah. And I guess that's why I'm still with it and I relate so much to it. And I'm still like, uh, uh, you know, a student still. For a decade, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. And I can tell you that, uh, there is two different ways to see Kabbalah. There is two different ways to practice it, and one of them is through the through the logical mind, which is yes, like once you are the people who are completely they're not. If you are if you study Kabbalah for a, coming from a Jewish tradition, like if you're if you're Israeli and then you were obviously you were born Jewish, and then you start studying Kabbalah, then that's a whole completely different route than someone who has. Um, who has no background in, in, in the Jewish uh, traditions itself. So, so the, the, the beauty of, of Kabbalistic wisdom is that it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter wherever you're coming from and like what's your background or uh, who, whatever the fuck you want to dress, if you want to be naked the whole day, or if you want to have like, you know, whatever, like really it doesn't, they don't have a, this dogmatic view of- It's not so culturally of, bound yeah or socially bound like totally like we we are so disengaged from the 3d world that we just see it as if it was like and i say i see it as a scientist right like it, and it's funny because of my my whole point of view anyways but like um it's my kind of like experiential uh uh field of of where i formulate my own hypotheses i formulate my own theories and then i go to the 3d world uh, to experience and, and to actually test those different philosophies and ideas and levels of consciousness. And it's just so fun, you know, like it, then life became so fun to me, like a, like a fucking playground really for a Leo is like, you win the lottery ticket. Cause then, cause then you, you see, you see this 3d world as, as, as what it actually is, you know, like everything is so connected and so put in place to you for you to actually uh, you know, elevate your consciousness to to your divine purpose. Um, and another thing that actually resonated to me like in this Kabbalistic wisdom was the fact that uh, normal, like being normal or anything that is like with, it comes with the term normal, it just means chaos in the language of, of the Kabbalists. And, you know, it, it's just so, uh, it's so, so subversive, you know, yet very elegantly uh, put it, because it's so subtle but like so subversive at the same time, and and pre that's like that's pretty much my trajectory for for how I went from 
you know, like science into uh, Kabbalistic um, understanding of, of, of reality. And yes, like I'm not like if, if you ever, if we ever get to meet in person, like you're just going to feel, I don't know, like I've, I've always get like these comments of, of um, I'm not saying I'm special at all, like but totally the opposite. Like I'm very normal. Like I actually look very normal and, and, and I really like the nitty gritty stuff, you know, like of manifesting the things that I want to see out there. And, and so far I've manifested great things as well. And, and now I'm going for my, my big, big, big um, uh, transition now of, of, you know, like this, I don't want to sound like apathetic, but um, this pandemic brought a lot of blessings to me. And, you know, and, and part of it was the, the, the not only the transformation of, of my human consciousness that I've, that I've experienced before, but also when I'm able to actually be the creator behind, behind this whole um, movie, you know, and, and, and put into, into reality, the things that I, that I do want to see out there. And, and one of them is like, I'm actually working, I'm getting my project management certification and, and I'm, I'm fully submerged into the sustainability field. I've, I've recently became a corporate social responsibility practitioner. And, and, and that's the way that I, that I've been pretty much manifesting, you know, out there. Like I, if I, I've, I've been able to create this small or big, I don't know, I could never measure it, but like this big ripple effects of, of my creation, my past creation. So now I'm ready for, for, I've been preparing for, for like the big one. Cause I, I do see that. I do, I have hope, you know, and that's one thing that I, it's, it's what, I, what I've experienced with the people around me that they're very anxious, they're very um, uh, depressed for, for not understanding what this ride means or what this ride means to, for them individually or on a collective level. But, um, but I think this, this wave is bringing hope for, for the one, for the type of, or like, for the people like like me who who are striving for something um, bigger than themselves, for sure. Well, props, and I think it sounds like you found. I mean, I, I'm sure Raphael totally digs your worldview, um, and it's nothing against our last episode, but it felt a little more paranoid and unsure. And it's nice to hear people who are confidently walking through reality, um, being co-creative powers, um, enjoying the ride, so to speak. So huzzah and props to you for that Raphael uh, did you have anything you kind of want to say in response to what she kind of just said I feel like it resonates with where you're at anyway so I'm sure you just concur more or less very well uh, as you said Leticia you're a Kabbalah student so obviously you know what's up you know <laughs> what can I say um, and obviously it's great to see how you can combine those things it seems to me especially in the real I mean all realms but especially in this like permaculture thing it's a lot to do with networking. Even I know a few individuals like engaged in similar type activities. And I'm really just looking forward of, you know, things like permaculture, open source ecology, all of these things to come together, the people that resonate on that proper vibe, you know, to find the others and in a sense, you know, just make it happen and uh, create a new paradigm, not just within the spirit, but also truly, you know, in terms of food sovereignty, edible forests all of these things where really i mean all it would take probably is like one two three years or growing cycles 
and we could completely restore, transform the planet, whatever we wish, you know, create it in a way that there's literally like abundant food everywhere. Uh, yeah, it's all about the mindset and then just the implementation. So uh, thank you for being on the front lines in that sense. Oh, no, thank, thank you. Thank you for um, actually, you know, sharing with me that perspective because at the end of the day, you know, like I'm, I'm actually doing the, you know, the the small little details and like doing the, the kind of like the the end, like if I was an ant, you know, like all this small type of um, work. But now that I'm talking to you guys, I, I see how um, big this is <laughs> because I, I don't like to really get overwhelmed with the all these feelings uh, that come to the surface when, when I talk about these things. But yeah, you know, like one, one of the things, if I can add something to, to this conversation is that um, I just, you know, for me it was the realization and the breakthrough or uh, the spiritual upheaval or whatever that, how, whatever you want to call it, but the, the understanding more than anything that um, the, um, sorry, like I, I lost my train of thought. You're yeah, cool. the, the understanding that um, global transformation is possible, but it definitely has to come. Is it going to be possible only through individual and personal transformation? Like there is no other way, you know, like, and I see it in, in the 3D world, right? Like we see all these institutions that, that they want to create change and they want to be, you know, want to be the ones who, who lead um, the visionaries who lead into the, who lead us into the future. But unless we have that individual transformation, that that specific foundation and component to it, then it, it won't, it will just fade. It will just like, it will, history is just gonna repeat itself again, right? Like, cause yeah, we, we can change the name of the company and we can change the color to more green and more appealing to the public. But if you're not, if the person behind those marketing strategies are not actually the ones who believe in this change and who actually do something for themselves, like not even for other people, like just for themselves, like they take care of themselves. They, they practice self-compassion. They, they actually, you know, um, understand that, that, that the, the, the knowledge itself is not, uh, is not enough. Like you actually have to feel yourself through, you have to feel your way through, or I don't know how to say that. Yeah. Like you have to feel your way through, through it. Like you can learn all these concepts and all these new, um, philosophies, but unless you feel your way through it, like unless you actually go through the experience of, of vulnerability and like I said, self-compassion and killing the dictator inside of your head, that's the only way that we will able to actually achieve that global transformation that we're so much in desperate need of. And just to reinforce what you mentioned, even in terms of, you know, farming techniques and all of that, I still know much too little of it, but if you would look at the supposed, you know, chemical fertilizer revolutions and then slap some, you know, wonky uh, GMO on top of it and so on, then it's, it's really also about just a general basic view. How do you view nature? Is it something that you want to make your slave and just exploit? Uh, I mean, 
maybe to someone like us, it's like, I mean, how ignorant can you be? But it's really amazing that these kind of structures also negatively, from what I understand, especially the farmers, not just in Africa, but also in Europe, I guess in America, it's just the same, are actually some of those that are under the most pressure, especially if they do it the now called conventional way, in terms of the access of uh, access they have to seeds, in terms of how they can farm, where, how many machines they need, what regulations they have, even what I mentioned with open source ecology, you know, a uh, tractor now is like, I don't know, half 150k or something like this, and you can't even repair the software nor the hardware yourself, it's all super expensive. Or you could get an open source tractor with the same capacity for 35k, and you can repair it yourself. That's like just a technical thing. And maybe we don't even need tractors if you really do it smart. Um, but that's just one example that especially when we talk about ecology and then farming and uh, food production, I think it's, it's so tightly related to your own state of consciousness that, of course, many may easily be missing that. So, yeah, I can say again, I'm glad you're up there on the front and kind of keep pushing the thing also with your spiritual understanding, because that's then really, you know, the thing that can guide you to do, let's say, real breakthroughs. It may still, unfortunately, you know, make you unpopular with, uh, you know, some specific groups or whatever, or sects that may build up. But, you know, staying true to the path, I think, you know, I don't need to tell you this. You're going to do that anyways, but I think it's great. Highly appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, um, once I'm able to get, grasp a little bit of, um, of air out of my own bubble, um, I start seeing the, the type of opposition that I get now, you know, and it's just so like, I, I look at them just because I'm, I'm not even curious, but I'm just like, you know, like, I want to understand why are you opposing to me? Like, well, there's not even a reasonable or, you know, well-founded research that you can have to actually oppose to my own work. But, um, but it's, it's, it's weird. Like humans, I love, I love humans. I love me as a human and I love how can we get so uh, distracted from our own path by oh, yeah. obeying those these like petty feelings like we're so enslaved we're slaves to our own feelings and which is uh, again you know it's like or or uh natural instinct instinctive um um mummy and you know nature that it's just i don't know it's, it's just so funny like the and yeah like i'm like i said not really too much into the but I guess I, I have to learn and understand that my path is not like any other one person. Like obviously their path is not obviously not my path either. But I also have to appreciate my own path and embracing it because I, I was never taught that, you know, like I, from where I come from, there was always a position, not only from my own family members, but also my friends and boyfriends and, you know, people that I have come, come in contact with. And... And now I, I take that opposition as as a as a ladder, you know, to 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 fuel my own my own visions and and to continue doing the work that I do because at the end of the day, someone's got to do it, right? So why not me? That's what's up, Letty. Yeah. You're cool as fuck. Uh, I knew your team rabbit hole, um, and I really do appreciate you kind of telling us your story. 
Um, it's fascinating. I did. I mean, I know a little about you because I've seen pictures of you in the punk band and stuff like that. Um, so I, I have seen you with a shaved mohawk or whatever singing. Um, but you've had an interesting. Uh, I think Temperance Card is perfect. Uh, yeah, you've had extremes on both sides. You kind of come at you know, you're you're tempering the religious and spiritual with the scientific. You're being um, a very unique individual while being humble and kind of practical. So it seems like a very apropos card for this episode. Um, Raphael, were you going to say something? No, just uh, kind of reiterating what I read about two episodes ago with Occult Priestess. You know, there's just a few references that keep coming up for me. One of them is Vasily Kandinsky about the spiritual and art, and he's talking about the tri the movement of the triangle. And he just says that, you know, in each segment of the pyramid, there's always those artists and visionaries and what they are providing, whichever level they're on, is actually the food for the next lower uh, section. But the issue is, of course, those in the lower sections, they potentially are even ignorant that higher sections exist. And similarly to what you mentioned, even just starting with the whole, you know, hardcore thing, and maybe not really fitting in there or having, in a sense, higher values. And then, of course, the same may occur again in many too many organizations institutional of course but then potentially even kind of apparently new groups springing up or becoming interested as you mentioned about the dogmatism then with permaculture but once uh, you know you've reached a level understanding of understanding such as you did and <clears throat> in a sense of course i can uh, resonate with that you just have to keep pushing on and I don't need to tell you this, but just to confirm it, you know, regardless of what anyone else is saying or whether that's then popular or the new group is coming, maybe it gets on a movement because we had, you know, those individuals even in talks here that, you know, they joined, for example, the Green Party or they were really into environmentalism until they figured out that the organization that was supposedly so strong and big or the party to support that actually wasn't doing the right thing at all. So there is, it seems to me, especially in this quite, you know, illusory world, it really takes a lot of discernment uh, to really filter that all out, not get stuck in dogmatism, not get stuck in whatever may appear popular for a moment, because um, I mean, I very much see, in a sense, uh, the, the switch or in, in a way the end, <laughs> the light at the end of the tunnel, just in a sense that the energy on the planet in general is shifting. But until that has occurred completely, it really, it's really up to individual discernment in terms of, you know, what is right? What do I have to do with whom to cooperate? What are the ideas uh, to push? And in relation to Kandinsky, I just want to say that oftentimes it's the very unpopular thing. So those at the top that are actually leading the charge, but just like with famous artists, and don't think this will be the case in, in this case, but just saying it may take some time until a larger segment of the population has even reached a level of understanding and consciousness to be able to contemplate, integrate, and be, in a sense, fed by that, you know, more rarefied energy, uh, food, or perspective, if you can catch my drift. Yes, yes, I I 100% agree. And, you know, I'm, I, guess I, I guess I am humble upon my own existence as well, because I know that I might not have the effect that I want to have, like, you know, I mean, it's not that I want it, but like, it will be amazing to see that in my own lifetime, right? To see the, the global consciousness shape, completely shape. I think you will. It, I, I just want to say that being alone or feeling alone in a sense isn't something negative, as you may have figured out yeah. already. 
yeah but you know yeah exactly and and i'm this this period of time like i said like this um pandemic brought a lot of blessings to me because i felt the humbleness of my own existence and whatever uh step i put forward to or, or whatever thing that i um, I do every day. It, it it's gonna create the the necessary change that is, you know, that the impact that I, that either way was meant for me to happen. So, so right now the only thing that I'm, that I guess I'm I'm trying to like put it out there is, uh, I have a blog and some I don't not not actually like very, uh, proficient into blogging yet. But um, but yeah, like in my blog, sometimes I post pictures and sometimes I post uh, drawings that I made, and I call them like welcome to my inner vision, because that's pretty much what is happening inside of me. And you're gonna see this whole relation between um, the ecological perspective of like the science scientific perspective of it towards the the spiritual um, my Kabbalist background as well. So if you know, there's not it's not like super attractive to obviously not like I'm not naked I'm not showing my boobs or anything so it's not like not gonna be super popular but at the end of the day I feel like I'm just leaving my trace marks for whoever comes after me and 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 they find you know a little clues here and there for them to follow um but yeah yes each one spark one and <laughs> we shall all be lit <laughs> fuck yeah well, Letty, you're cool as fuck. I knew it all along, and I'm, this is verified it further for me. I do appreciate you giving us your time. We've got to get you back on here. Um, I don't know if you want to talk specifics about Kabbalah sometime or do a group talk about... Yeah, I mean, this. Jehovah's we have a few ideas, life. but just to bring this up here as well, I mean, the one thing I jotted down was like Rainforest Edition. But oh, yeah. Could, this could be, I mean, both has to do with like South... I mean, you're even in South America as well, as I gathered but even just you know permaculture and so on because we have quite a few actually interested in that or like active in that just like with a few other specific themes and topics and what i'd really like to see is now kind of goes to you jim but also just to you know the divine synchronicity coordinator that is our higher selves um that we kind of get this done just so people at least get to know of each other and know of each other's you know cool projects and crazy ideas because you know most likely there will be some resonance somewhere and who knows, you know, maybe we can uh, uh, make some more sparks. Like an ecology episode, that'd be a lot of fun. I'm think you're thinking Sam, I'm guessing, um, like, and some others I can just think off the top of um, yeah, my exactly, head. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Word. Well, Letty, we'll keep in touch. Um, thanks again for hitting us up. Are you in Cali right now or Baja? Or where are you at? Uh, right now I'm in Baja, and not at all. Like, thank you guys for, like, having this type of platform where – People like me can, um, you know, share a little bit of, of my journey and hopefully it helps someone else to actually stop giving a fuck of what other people think about them or, you know, oh, yes. stop finding excuses to not do their work or, you know, using themselves as, as their own excuse and and just fucking do it, you know, and, and yeah, like, can I, can I actually, I actually have one request and yeah, that's like up? the last thing. I would like if you could play one of the Bad Brain songs just to, um, yeah, when this is over. What, what song? It's called The Bad Brain. It's called uh, I Against I. I guess make up the outro, Raphael. I was going to play a Spongle song, but hey, we'll do what you want. All good.
Thanks. We're cool like that. So yeah, Letty, it's been a pleasure. Um, I guess if there anything, you, you know, do what the fuck you want, kind of power to the people and, you know, fuck the man, let's do the change kind of thing. So is there anything you want um, people to leave, like to leave people with? Um, yes, then it's just going to be something short that um, practice self-compassion. Um, yeah, that's, that's, if I can give an advice to someone out there who might not understand the complexity of what I'm saying, but, or the simpleness of what I'm saying, but, you know, just practice, have self-compassionate practices as your daily habits to water your inner environment for your, you know, the practition of your own ecology within. Yeah. Well, that was Thank poetic. You. And that really tied in with your uh, kind of ecology for, you know, world. That's <laughs> a good job. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that a lot. For sure. I mean, guys, this is just goes to show you I've been talking to Letty on Facebook for a long time. Um, find the others. Like, it's that simple. Find the people you resonate with. Uh, it was something as simple as posts I was making and tagging her in or whatever, however we got connected. I forget exactly. But uh, little things can go a long way, and we are the people we're waiting for. So don't just sit around waiting for governments to fix this or the next generation were the ones. So get out there, find the others, and get on it. Yeah, the kingdom of God is within, and it certainly is a most individualized journey from within, as Leticia laid out so nicely. And I just say, tend your own garden, and we shall live in the paradise that is now. Enjoy yourselves. Thank you so much. Radio Pokey Talk Talk